0: Do you all remember that episode from Tales from the Crypt, when the ventriloquist is like this super grumpy old man, nobody can figure out why he's so grumpy, and then at the end, he, his dummy is actually being controlled by this gross little gooey creature that's evil and kills everybody, or something like that? Anyway, that's all I could think about during this research. So yes, today I'm going to talk about the wonderful world of ventriloquism. As soon as I told my mom I was doing an episode on this, she kind of cringed. She hates them, and she said to me, "Look up Mortimer Sn- Snurd." Snurd. She was like, "I had nightmares about that that guy forever." Um, so I have to admit, I'm a little creeped out by them too. But they're also very interesting, and it's a really unique hobby, right? And um, we have a ventriloquism museum in Kentucky, which I have to admit I did not know about until very recently. So I'm going to talk about that museum, but first I'm going to give you a little background on the origins of ventriloquism. And in case you didn't know where you were, this is Kentucky History and Haunts, and I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew. (music) Ventriloquism has been basically been around forever, okay? A long, long time. The word comes from ventry, meaning belly, and liqueur, meaning to speak. Uh, and dummies, you know, they used to just be made of wood, and they would simply open and close their mouths. Now they can do all sorts of fancy things, like wiggle their ears, wink, raise eyebrows, stick out their tongue, spit, and even smoke. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, The first known ventriloquist was a gentleman named Louis Brabant, who was King Francis I's valet in the 16th century. But it actually goes back way further than that. And we know that because of the great field of archaeology. We know that there were ancient Egyptians and Greeks who had dummies. There's some evidence that it dates back as far as 2000 BCE in Egypt, uh, from what I gather, it looks like they found some like puppets and they would participate in Egyptian operettas. So, okay. In Greece, they were called angastromyths, meaning speech in stomach, roughly, because people thought that angastromyths had demonic spirits in their stomachs who burped words from their host's mouths. So that's fun. So I guess people would just be like, yeah, okay, that's what I do. And uh, they would charge crowds to see them burp demon talk. I guess kind of similar to this, some believed a dead person's spirit could enter a living person and then talk through them, which is known as necromancy. So yeah, ventriloquism evolved from there, but those really are its origins. Um, As you can imagine from what I just told you, Christians really didn't care for ventriloquism. It was sometimes seen as a practice of witchcraft, and as witch trials grew in popularity in Europe in the 1500s, it was seen as, quote, a practice spawned by hell itself. So probably not a good idea for you to have it as a hobby back then. In the 1700s, they were tolerated a little more. Um, A lot of them were still seen as mediums who could talk to the dead, or the dead could talk through them, rather, But people stopped being so afraid of this and actually just got curious about it. And so that's when they started to draw crowds and they started to morph into a real form of entertainment. And it kind of just took off from there. Um, They became popular in horror films starting all the way back in the 1940s because, let's face it, they're spooky as all get out. Um, Do you guys remember that movie Dead Silence? That one really got me. So some of the most famous ventriloquists were Edgar Bergen, or Bergen, sorry, Fred Russell, Arthur Prince, The Great Lester, Sherry Lewis, Wenceslao Moreno, and Jacques Courtois. In the 1900s, there for a while it was almost trendy. okay? Um, it started appearing, like I said, in movies, uh, TV shows, commercials. You could buy them in stores. But then by the 1960s and 70s, it was kind of over. I think the consensus, honestly, was these are more creepy than funny. Um, It is still a thing, though. There's an International Ventriloquist Society where I got some of this information. Some comedians still have ventriloquism bits. And there is, of course, the Vent Haven Museum in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, which... You will have an absolute meltdown in if you have a genuine fear of ventriloquism. To tell you the story of the Vent Haven Museum, we really have to start with the man named William Shakespeare Berger, not to be confused with, you know, and his friends called him W.S., so that's what I'm going to call him. Now, W.S. was interested in ventriloquism from the time he was a young teenager. But he figured it probably wasn't going to pay the bills. So in his free time, he bought books on how to master the skill, and he practiced. And he also went to watch others perform any chance he got. He was also interested in magic, and in his younger years he'd follow this magician around town watching him pull rabbits out of people's shopping baskets and coins from their pockets. It's so whimsy. He also, quote, dabbled in hypnotism and was interested in the investigation of psychic phenomena and had witnessed many strange, startling manifestations. Wish I had more follow-up on that comment, but this is from a publication of the International Brotherhood of Magicians from 1945, and that's the extent of what it says. The publication also says that after the war, he was planning on donating some of his collection to the British Museum of London, since a lot of their stuff had been destroyed in the war. Um, I'm not sure if that happened. Couldn't find any follow-up. But when W.S. was 17 years old, this was in 1895, he started working in the mailroom of the Cambridge Tile Company in Cincinnati. For those who don't know, uh, Fort Mitchell is way up there in northern Kentucky. So W.S. was working at this tile company, and he went on to work at that company until he retired from his position as president in 1947. So the American dream was very much alive and kicking back then. But while he was moving up the ranks at his company, he was still thinking about ventriloquism. He bought his first figure in 1910, and that figure's name was Tommy (laughs) Baloney. From there, the collection grew and grew, I mean over decades. And he was keeping them in his house, from what I understand, until he retired from the the towel company... And then he had some free time, you know, so he thought, I better make some room for all these dummies. And he renovated his garage. But that really wasn't enough. So in 1962, he built another building on his property for the dummy overflow. But W.S. was president of more than just the tile company. He was also president of the International Brotherhood of Ventriloquists for some time from the 40s to the 60s. And in that time, he helped grow that organization from 300 members to over 1,000. He was also pen pals with lots of other ventriloquists from all over the globe. And he published The Oracle, which was a monthly magazine for ventriloquists to stay up on current events. Um, He did have a wife and a family, so some sweet woman tolerated a house, garage, and another building full of dummies. When visitors came by to see his collections, he would have them sign a guest register so that register had the names of all these famous ventriloquists and their time that they were there logged, which is kind of cool. Sadly, though, he outlived his wife and his son and even his grandson. And of course, he was worried about what would happen to his collection since he didn't have anyone to pass it down to. So he set up a charitable foundation for his assets, property, and collections, which is how the Vent Haven Museum remains a nonprofit open to the public. Just the history factor of this place alone makes it worth going the next time you're, you know, driving through that area. Um, before he died, his collection featured more than 500 dummies, some dating back to the 1800s, which is super cool. But he also had scripts, photos, playbills, posters, recordings, and all kinds of other odds and ends. Which are, I mean, it's cool aesthetically, even if you're not into dummies. It's just a cool thing to see, you know? So they opened to the public in 1973. And their website says they've doubled in size since then. Um, There's over 900 on display now, from what I understand. In fact, as of July 2020, they had 980. So closing in on a thousand. I bet they have a thousand by now. Um, and today they don't have an acquisition budget, so they're all donated. Um, they have—they're made from all different stuff. They have ones made of glass, resin, and there's even one made of steel that's real weird looking. And um, I was watching this KET segment about it from 2020. It's short. And it was fun to hear the curators talk about just all the different dummies having these different stories that make them really a part of history. Um, They've been in floods or fallen off trucks. Some have been in fires and survived all this. Lots of them have little imperfections. They have this one that was carved by a German in 1942 while he was being held in a Russian POW camp. And he was an entertainer before he was captured. And so while he was in prison, he carved this little dummy to entertain the other prisoners he was there with. But the Russians, the Russians ended up seeing this and they enjoyed the entertainment. And he ended up getting himself and his friends extra food rations in exchange for his shows. Um, So just stuff like that, you know, it's it's really kind of neat. Um, so again, there's that there's a KET segment you can just look up on YouTube and you'll find it. Um, it's from 2020, but it's it's a, like a seven minute video about the museum where you can see clips of that that puppet from 1942 and a bunch of other ones. If at any point in this episode it has seemed like I've been poking fun at ventriloquism, well, it's because I am. But it's one of those things where I'm laughing with them, not at them. It's a form of entertainment, and the point is to laugh. And the fact of the matter is, it's an odd hobby, okay? But I think it's really cool that a group of people has put in the time and effort to preserve all that memorabilia because it really is an interesting collection And there's a lot of great history behind it. If you want to visit the Vent Haven Museum, it's open April through September by appointment only. It's technically free, but they encourage at least a $10 donation for a 45 to 90 minute tour. And if there's one thing you take away from this episode, I want you to remember that all dummies are puppets, but not all puppets are dummies. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Kentucky History and Haunts. If I need to make a correction or you have a topic you think I should talk about, you can send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram at kyhistoryhaunts or on Facebook. You can find the new Pinterest that I made that's got a bunch of cool old stuff. Uh, Just look up Kentucky History and Haunts on Pinterest. It'll pop right up. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me where you're from and tell me something cool about the history of your part of town. Thanks, y'all. Until next time.